really about the only really dumb thing I ever heard my father say in my life. So if that was his one fault, telling me I couldn't chew gum in the activities building, he was a pretty good father oh. and a pretty good example. Yeah, I mean, I think yeah. that's one of the main problems yeah. that preacher's kids have is the inconsistency they see from what their father says in the pulpit to what he is at home. And my father was exactly yes. the same at home as wow. he was in the pulpit until the day he died. Our guest today is a Bible teacher, women's conference speaker, author, entrepreneur, wife, a mom of boys, but her highest calling in life is being called Gigi by her grandkids. Hi, and welcome to Mid-South Viewpoint. I'm Byron Tyler. Today, Gail Foster is in the studio. I'm looking forward to visiting with Gail. She's our featured speaker at the first ever Bot Radio Network Pastor's Wives Appreciation Luncheon, April 13th at the Great Hall and Conference Center in Germantown. Gail Foster, welcome to Mid-South Viewpoint on Bot Radio Network. Well, thank you, Byron. It is an honor to be here. Trying to remember the first time you and I met, it, my goodness, it has to be back in the late 70s, I'm thinking. Were we like getting our diapers changed well, together or I what? I'm, I probably was. You're a little <laughs> bit older than I was at the time, you know. But your brother and I, David, and your sister Janice and I had become friends to the youth group at Bellevue downtown. I was in and out of house of the Rogers home, which is your parents, the late Dr. Adrian Rogers, and your lovely mom, who just turned 90 years old, Miss Joyce Rogers. I know. I told her, I said, Mother, I said, I'm pretty sure you're really old because I'm really old and I'm your daughter. So uh, that makes common sense. So, yes, my really old mother doing great, by the way. Oh, I love her so much. She and your dad have been such a, in so many people's lives, but the personal influence that they have been, just the friendship over the years has been so wonderful and encouraging. So thankful for your parents and their influence, godly influence in our lives as my wife and I, your dad married us. There was a couple at Bellevue, the farmers had said, when Adrian Rogers ties the knot, it's tied tight, you know? <laughs> so, anyway, so I know your dad tied the knot for you and Mike too, right? He did. He unloaded me upon Mike, so he was no longer <laughs> responsible. So, And how long have you and Mike been married now, Gil? We have been married... This year will be 43 years. 43. Wow. Yes. That's amazing, isn't it? It is. How did you meet? I don't think I remember the backstory there. First time you met. And what was it that attracted you to Mike when you first saw Mike Foster? Well, I'm certain it was his <laughs> devastating good looks. <laughs> Actually, Mike was a remarkable person that stood out head and shoulders above everybody else, probably because he was my senior. So everybody else was immature and he was mature. But he has been a wonderful, godly husband all of these years yeah. through all sorts of situations that I put him in. Now, didn't Mike come from a pastor's family? Wasn't his dad? Or, do I have that correct? Absolutely not. He no. sold clothes. Oh, So really? when you walked in, he would automatically tell you how much you weighed and how big your waist was. He was a real blessing in my life. Oh. <laughs> Don't you love people like that? <laughs> That's right. And my father could see what all your sins were, and his father could see how much you weighed. It was it was a fun time growing up. So you walked out of the houses with guilt trips every time you left, right? Absolutely. So I couldn't wait to get married. <laughs> but one thing about Mike I do remember, he had a landscaping business at yes. one time. Yes. Matter of fact, 
he hired David and I to do some work one summer, and I remember I thought landscape. Really, we're gonna be, uh, I did not know. I that. thought we we're going to be planting flowers and moving some shrubs, or maybe a you know tree pruning or something. Man, he had us moving loads of gravel in wheelbarrows down a hill to a lake, you know? I mean, I don't know. I mean, it was some of the most strenuous work I've ever done working with Mike. Well, that may be what led you to this. That's right. It's, like it's a little easier anything life. Anything other than that. So God used that. Gail, the Atlanta Braves were founded in Boston, Massachusetts in 1871 as the Boston Red Stockings. Now, when did you first become a Braves fan? Well, not then. <laughs> oh, I know you didn't. <laughs> I actually became a Braves fan in 1966. Our neighbors, when I was just a little girl, I think I was in the third grade, about 10 years old, they moved to Atlanta from Merritt Island, Florida, where we lived, and I was just devastated. But for some unforeseen reason, my parents allowed me to get on a plane by myself in the third grade, fly to Atlanta. And her father took us to the Braves game in their first year there. Not only had I seen something that I've never seen before in my life, which was that great big huge stadium in professional sports, but the game lasted about 18 innings and her father let us stay for the (laughs) entire game. My father would have never done that because my father was much wiser than her father (laughs) being the minister he was. But they let us stay and Hank Aaron hit a walk-off home run in the bottom of the 18th and I became hooked. Oh my goodness. My entire life. So even as a little girl, I listened to the Braves game on the radio in Crackle in Florida from WSB in Atlanta from 1966 until now. Oh, my goodness. When we got married, my husband and I, in 1980, Mike was much more spiritual than me, and he did not <laughs> allow me to have cable. And the Braves were on cable, and I kicked and screamed, and I told him that if he ever died, I was ordering cable before I called the funeral home. So he finally let me have it, and that is one of my loves. I have to give that to God sometimes when I love it too much. I was going to say that you have to be a true fan to listen on the radio for so long. There aren't many other good options on the radio, like it's the Braves or Bot Radio. Which one would you choose? Exactly. What you do, yeah. <laughs> you know, I actually lost my job because of a baseball game one time. I was working for another radio station in Memphis that played the Cardinals. It was a station license for daylight. At a certain time, you had to sign the station off the air. It wasn't a 24-hour station right. like we are here. That's when the Braves come through better, when the other stations are signed off the air, when you what, live so far away. Well, what happened in that particular game, it was coming close to the sign-off time. I don't remember who they were playing. They were tied 13 innings. They were tied up. Exciting game. Byron did his job because he was supposed to sign it off by the FCC license regulations at 745, I believe, at that time. I was called in the office the next morning by the program director, and they said, uh, you're fired. I said, why? (laughs) Because you signed the station off. And I said, well, we have to. It's legal. Yeah, but you could have told people to listen to the other station that they had, the FM station. This was AM, the FM station, to hear the score. Now, you're a fan. If you're involved in a really intense game and somebody signs it off, are you going to want to just listen to another station to hear the score? No. Thank you. (laughs) So I was unjustly fired, would you say? Yes, you were. We should start a campaign (laughs) right now. Y'all write in, United States government, write to them. Hey, Gail, bring us up to date on the family. As I mentioned, you're the mom of boys. Yes. What are some of the joys of having boys? I definitely would need more prep time on that. Not because there's so many, but to come up with one of them, seriously. Seriously, I love my sons. It's been a joy to me to be able to talk to them about life, 
about business, about just guy things. I like it. Interesting. I'm a sports person, the only one in my household, even though it's a household of all men. And one of the most devastating moments of my life is when we were scurrying home from church one time. The boys were about five and six. And my youngest son said, Mother, I don't know why you're in a hurry to get home. We are not a football family. I don't know if I've recovered to this day. (laughs) So anyway, we're not a football family. Who knew, even though I have all boys, but they're both musicians. So I read where you keep Psalm 33.6 on your bathroom countertop, (laughs) which says, The Lord merely spoke and the heavens were created. He breathed the word and all the stars were born. How has this particular verse helped you put perspective on life? Well, that is an amazing verse because there is nothing that God can't do with ease. He breathed the word and the stars were born. And I think my problems are too big for him or I can't figure out how he's going to do it. It's not up to me to figure out how he's going to do it. I hope I can't figure out how he's going to do it. Then it wouldn't be a God thing. It would be a Gale thing. I love that verse in any situation. I enjoyed reading that. We need to be reminded of who's in charge. Like you said, it's not about Gale or Byron, you know, it's about him. (laughs) And by the way, Byron, I've been reading lately out of the New Living Translation. I wasn't familiar with the New Living Translation, which shame on me because I know now it's been around for a while and it's not the Living Bible, which is an interpretation. It's actually a translation. But I was upstairs in my mom's house just cleaning out some things and I saw this nice leather Bible there and I knew she doesn't even go up the stairs by herself. So I said, Mom, can I have this Bible? I had no idea. But when I opened it up, it was signed by Vonette Bright and it was a Bill Bright study Bible. It is a very special Bible. Yes. I have, over the course of my life, been a big believer in Scripture memory, Hmm. and I've lost a lot of the Scriptures that I have memorized, unfortunately. I still know the concepts, but I should have kept up with it. But sometimes when you memorize something in one translation, it just kind of becomes commonplace because your mind kind of fills in the blank. And I've started reading in this new translation, and it's like every verse— is new because I'm reading it through different words, even yeah. though it's saying the exact same thing. So I'm not sure what that verse says in the King James. I love it. And I've been reading in that. And one of the things I've been doing every morning, trying to read at least five Psalms, but I'm reading them out loud out of the New Living Translation, personalizing them. And it's been a real blessing and has made a change. Glad you shared that because we need to go back to the Word. The Word says it's a light unto my path. We need direction. We need hope. We need encouragement. Life is all about Mm -hmm. in the Word. It's so beautiful how God has laid it out for us. And yet we find other things to keep us busy. On November 5th, 2005, your dad, Dr. Adrian Rogers, transitioned from this life into heaven at age 74. For nearly 33 years, he pastored Bellevue Baptist Church, and he was also the three-time president of the Southern Baptist Convention How did your dad, Gail, influence your life most? And I know we could sit here probably and talk for weeks and weeks about this. We could, yeah. But what stands out to you? Well, everything stands out to me. In this day, it seems like we just cringe waiting to hear what other Christian leader has fallen or some skeleton in his closet that we didn't know about. And we're all devastated when we hear it. I know that doesn't even mean that they didn't know the Lord. God uses imperfect people. But I will tell you, my father was not perfect, 
but he was the most consistent, godly man I've ever known personally or through their reputation. I cannot recall any time in my entire life that my father sinned intentionally, grossly, overtly. And I'm sure there are times he was impatient or times I remember when I was a child and I was going into the activities building in First Baptist Merritt Island, which was one of the first churches that had like a bowling alley yeah. and a gymnasium and stuff. My father told me getting out that I could not chew gum in the activities building. That's really about the only really dumb thing I ever heard my father say in my life. So, <laughs> if that was his one fault, telling me how couldn't you come in the activities building, he was a pretty good father um, and a pretty good example. Yeah, I mean, I think yeah. that's one of the main problems yeah. that preacher's kids have is the inconsistency they see from what their father says in the pulpit to what he is at home. And my father was exactly yes. the same at home wow. as he was in the pulpit until the day he died. That's an amazing testimony coming from a yes. child that tells the truth <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> to a fault. <laughs> Speaking of telling the truth, I want to ask you this about that transition when you were at Merritt Island and coming to Memphis. How old were you at that time when you moved from Merritt Island to I Memphis? I was at a very pivotal age. I believe I was 16 or just about to turn 16. That's a tough time in life because you're, what, a junior probably? And I was a junior. You've got your friends. You built your life there. And then all of a sudden you're pulled out of that. So well, actually, the rest of the family was pulled out. I stayed for two months because the Merritt Island Mustangs were in the middle of a championship <laughs> football season, and I refused to go until that was over, which I do think we won like 52 to nothing in the championship game. So we were good. What a way to leave but town. Yeah, I'm a sports fan. always yeah. have been all my life, which is funny because I'm speaking to ministers' wives but I'm probably more like the minister in the way I think than the minister's wife. Were you angry at your folks for making that decision <laughs> to leave Merritt no, Island? absolutely not. I always, ever since I went to Atlanta, I always wanted to move to a big city. And when you're raised in Merritt Island, Florida, Memphis is a big city. And I was the one who accused my father of being like Jonah running from God when the Bellevue Pulpit Committee wanted to talk to him. And I insisted that he go talk to them because I wanted to move to a big city. I thought that would be exciting. No, I encouraged him. I wanted to, but not until after football season was over. <laughs> I love it. Any time in your life that you wished growing up, you wished dad wasn't a pastor, that you weren't in a pastor's home, and that you could be just like your friends growing up? Like every day, <laughs> the blessing and the burden, God does both side by side. And so, yeah, it's the blessing of my life, especially as an adult, to be raised in Adrian and Joyce Rogers' household. But it was a burden as a child because I tell you what, the baddest children make the best leaders. <laughs> and, um, you know, I was strong-willed. I had my own opinions. I didn't like to be told what to do. I always struggled with authority to be a pastor's child, not a perfect pastor's child, but the child of a perfect pastor. It was hard. Today, looking back on it, it's the biggest blessing of my life. The biggest joy of my life would be able to have the baton passed in some sense to me. That's beautiful. I've got some fond memories of 
visiting your home in my teenage years, hanging out with David. I remember your mom saying, hey, it's lunchtime. I never had a fried peanut butter and honey sandwich on whole grain bread, but (laughs) I still remember your mom making that sandwich for us. And it was so good. I had never had that before. (laughs) Well, that must have been a special sandwich she only made for David. I don't think I ever got that sandwich. I'll have to talk to her about that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, as we mentioned that you are going to be our keynote speaker, for our first ever WCRB Bot Radio Network Pastors Wives Appreciation Luncheon. And Gail, you have seen, of course, your mom in this role all of her life. Growing up, do you recall how your mom dealt with struggles and difficult times that your family walked through, either involving church issues or the family, just watching your mom and things you gleaned from her? Remember going through times that were difficult as a family and being a pastor's family, how she handled those times, keeping the family together. My mother was probably the consummate pastor's wife, and I doubt there's many pastor's wives that even fit into that mold today. It's kind of a several-generation-back mold, but that was her life, to be Mrs. Adrienne Rogers, and that was the joy of her life to do that. She was a great mother. Her focus was on her family. Her priority was her children, living a godly life in the home. And that was a blessing that I appreciate more and more every day. As a child, I probably struggled some with wanting to do my own thing and go my own way and not be constrained by those rules. But there was never a time when mother was not praying and consistent. And I will say this, Byron, she was so into being Mrs. Adrian Rogers that I thought that she'd fall apart when he died. Mm. I mean, I thought, what's she going to be? Because her whole identity and her whole life is gone. I have never one time, and that's been 2005, seen her break down, fall apart, worry, whine, complain. I'm sure she does. She has to have her moments because there was never another wife that more completely was devoted to her husband. But she has said, Jesus is sufficient. And she's going to live her life based on that. And if she falls apart, she falls apart in her closet. She's the strongest person I know. And I think the first encounter with your mom and dad was in sixth grade, right? The story goes, there was a a love note dropped on her desk. (laughs) Yes, it was. And I probably, I'm tempted, but I probably don't have the authority to um, say the contents of that note. But he was a pretty aggressive little sixth grader, just saying. Aggressively appropriate. There you go. There you go. We'll we'll make that statement. That's right. I also want to talk about Andy Horner. He influenced your life in many ways. Uh, You had his Celebration Life Service was just recently, back in February. You said that Andy made a difference in the world. He made a difference in your world. Tell us about that connection. I have two great men in my life. One is my father and one is Andy Horner. And a lot of your listeners won't be familiar with Andy Horner, But Andy Horner was a businessman whose life was completely, totally, 100% devoted to the service of God. I saw two people who had such a calling on their life, one in my father in the area of ministry and one in Andy Horner in the area of business. And Andy Horner founded Premier Designs Jewelry, which was actually a direct sales jewelry business, but the reason he founded it was not to sell jewelry or even to have a direct sales business. It was to use the profits 
of that business to support missionaries and ministries all over the world. And there are so many millions of dollars that have been given away through Premier and through Andy Horner personally. But he also wanted to take the people that were in that business and show them that they were ministers everywhere they went. I mean, I could talk for a long time on Andy Horner, but in thinking back about my life, I was raised in the home of a pastor of a very small church, which grew to be the pastor of a humongous church. I had that experience. I've been raised watching my mother go through losing him and being a widow and serving God faithfully. I've been a minister's wife for 10 years in three different capacities. My husband, Mike, was minister to young married adults. He's been minister of evangelism. He's been minister of counseling. And then we've also both gone into business together, not for the purpose of being in secular business, but for the purpose of having more flexibility to minister in the lives of people. Then that business closed down as a result of just the way people do business. Amazon Prime, thank you. (laughs) COVID, thank you. But God put me out there, and now at an older, ripe age, I am getting to remake my life with all the experiences God has put in there. Where did that entrepreneur characteristic, where did that first spark begin? I've always been like that. I've been a competitive person growing up, very, very much so. I've loved sports. I've loved competition. Little known fact, I was a nationally ranked table tennis player. Who does that? (laughs) And uh, that. that was an interesting thing. I've loved sports. If I was a man, I'm certain I would have been a preacher, a pastor, an evangelist. I don't know. And I've loved business. I just have a resume that's unique. Well, you've written a couple of books. As I mentioned, you're the author of two books, Leadership Lessons and Fostering Leadership. What's your definition of a leader? Well, actually, I haven't written books. I'm in the process of writing a devotional right now, 365-day devotional book. Now, how did I get that about? And I'm using, I'm, I'll tell you how you okay. got it. Okay. Probably because that's what you thought I had said. <laughs> But I'm writing a 365-day devotional book right now, and what's going to be unique about it, I'm using the life lessons, which is kind of an interesting mix between ministry and business and leadership, but I'm putting a quote by my father at the end of each devotional. That's causing me to listen to what my father said more at this age than I did younger, because I'm going back through so many old sermons and things of that nature But fostering leadership and the leadership lessons are just kind of for years. I've done a Facebook journal type thing. And when God gives me a thought or a devotion, I'll kind of journal it on Facebook for the world to see, kind of just as a way to bless others. And I've been doing that for a long, long time and terrified to put it into book form. And the last thing my father told me is he wanted me to author a book together with him on leadership before he went on to glory. And I have not done that. I may never do it. I don't know. I've learned to say, don't say what you're never going to do to God, because God either has other plans or a great sense of humor. I'm not sure which one. But this is a book that I feel like I am somewhat co-authoring with my father, because I'm finding something that he said 
to put at the bottom of every page. And it's a challenge to find 365 different things oh, yeah. that you know yeah. and that your father, the great Dr. Adrian Rogers, actually agreed with. <laughs> That's a challenge. So you guys pray for me on yeah, that. Some work to do. Well, when that book comes out, you'll have to come back on the show and we'll talk about that book. That'll be fun to do. God's doing a work in me as I'm writing that book. Well, Gail, as we mentioned, you are our featured speaker, the first ever Bot Radio Network Pastors Wives Appreciation Luncheon, April 13th at the Great Hall and Conference Center in Germantown. Do you feel that pastors' wives need encouragement? And how can we, as the congregants, how can we better encourage our pastors and their families? I think they are probably one of the most neglected groups that there is in America. I just read a statistic that said 80 percent, which would be defined as the overwhelming vast majority of pastors' wives feel lonely Mm. and unappreciated, and yet they are probably the most vital factor in a pastor's life. And he's the person sharing God's word and sending the troops out into the world. And if she's discouraging him at home, or if she is discouraged, the effects are far-reaching. I want to read a verse that I read this morning out of the New Living Testament. I had put the date by it and claimed it in my Bible for me, but I thought, oh, this so relates to pastor's wives. 2 Thessalonians 1, 11 and 12 says, So we keep on praying for you, asking your God to enable you to live a life worthy of His call. May He give you the power to accomplish all the good things your faith prompts you to do, Then the name of our Lord Jesus Christ will be honored because of the way you live, and you will be honored along with him. This is all made possible because of the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. And there is so much in that verse. But you're going to be honored when you serve the Lord and live a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And that's not in being a perfect person or being a perfect pastor's wife, or even working in the church. It's in having a personal relationship with Jesus yourself, and then overflowing into the life of your church and your husband. That's beautifully said. Gail Foster, God bless you, my dear sister. Thank you so much for what you're contributing to Christ's kingdom. And we're excited about you being our featured speaker at our first ever Pastor's Wife's Appreciation Luncheon on April 13th. Thank you so much for being our guest today. Well, I'm excited about it, too, because I'm excited about what God is going to teach me as I prepare for this event. God bless you. God bless all of you ministers' wives who are out there. May God's grace be evident in your life. Well, friends, that's all the time we have on this edition of Mid-South Viewpoint. Thanks for stopping by. I'm Byron Tyler, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye.